What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, guys? Dave here, and welcome to episode 34 of the Mike and Dave Podcast. Uh, This is part two of reviewing our preseason NBA tier list for the 2021 season. And this episode is going to be a little bit different because... Mike and I already recorded part two of the main segment of reviewing our tier list. We went over the hopefuls, the contenders, and the favorites. And in doing so, we talked for over an hour just about that. So we figured that would probably just make a good podcast on its own. So there won't be off the top or hot seat, fun fact, any of the rest of our segments uh, this time. So I'm just going to take you into that main segment. And then Michael chime in with a little bit of a message at the end. Hope you enjoy, and we'll be back in two weeks with all of the typical segments that you have come to know, as well as a top five. So hope you enjoy. Last episode, we went through the no shots and long shots. So this episode, we're going to go through our hopefuls, contenders, and favorites. So we'll start at number 17, the Los Angeles Clippers. So if you want to think about like this, more or less the top half of the NBA is in these last three tiers and the Clippers finished just as over 500 as you can at 42 and 40, literally like if they had lost one more, they would have been 500. Uh, that puts them at around 18 in the NBA. So, you know, another one off. If you were listening to episode 33, uh, you heard plenty of those there. If you haven't listened to episode 33, what are you doing? Listen to that one. I mean, you get 31 games out of Paul George. Kawhi Leonard doesn't play. Middle of the pack is basically what you should have been hoping for anyway. Uh, offense was struggling. Defense around the top third of the league, like just out of top 10, right around 11, I think. Uh, I mean, decent seats and from one of your favorite players, Dave and Avitsa Zubots. Uh, My guy. Not- not quite averaging a double double, but just over ten points, eight and a half boards, a block a game. Well, if they would, if they would play him over twenty four minutes, or play him more than his twenty four minutes per game, then he'd get those boards. I'm I'm saying, disrespectful. Terrence Mann averaging double figures on the season, uh, shooting pretty decent percentages as well. Thirty seven percent from three, seventy eight percent from the free throw line. And hey, unlike anyone else on this roster, he was able to play 81 out of 82 games. I mean, Reggie Jackson and Zubots both played 75 plus games still as well, but didn't hit the 80 mark like Terrence Mann did. Uh, but I mean, the main thing with this team is the whole like you have your two star players, and between the two of them, one doesn't play, the other plays less than half of your games from the season. Yeah, that's. That's not going to get it done. Yeah, it's not. I was actually pretty proud of this one. Uh, I think some people still had the Clippers higher, higher expectations for them going into the season. I really didn't see a whole lot from this roster, especially knowing that Paul George was going to miss some time. Um, Kawhi Leonard probably wasn't going to play all season. So I feel pretty good about this one. I mean, they ended up uh, really hanging in and, playing good defense that that's how they were able to end up a little bit over 500 11th ranked defense 
Uh, I mean, offensively, they struggled without their two top guys, as you would expect, 23rd in the league. Um, you know, you highlighted Terrence Mann. He had a breakout uh, run in the playoffs last year, was able to carry that through a little bit. Um, they gave him more minutes, and uh, he was able to deliver eh, to some degree. Realistically, I'm just interested in seeing what the Clippers look like next season. This was always going to be kind of a a lost year because of Kawhi's injury. So look out for the Clippers next season once they get Paul George and Kawhi back healthy, uh, presumably. Moving on to number 16, we have the Chicago Bulls. And this was a team that we actually highlighted in um, one of our episodes during the NBA season as one of our big surprises uh, that we did not expect them to be as good as they were. They ended up regressing. If you remember, the Bulls were one of the best teams in the league to start out the season. You know, there were a lot of questions before the season about how all the, you know, this combination of players, would they all be able to play together? All of that. Um, Did they have too many ball dominant players, et cetera, et cetera. But it turned out to actually work pretty well. They definitely regressed a little bit uh, at the end of the season. They ended up 46 and 36. So not ideal for them. Um, but they they still made the playoffs. They still came in at that sixth seed, so they didn't have to worry about the play-in tournament. The Bucks knocked them out in five games. Like that was probably always going to happen anyway. But I mean, their their main three guys, DeRozan, Levine, Vucevic, like those three guys all had really good seasons. I mean, DeRozan especially, like 28 points a game, five assists, five boards, a steal, shooting 50% from the field. I mean, he even shot 35% from three, yes, on less than one made three-pointer a game. But still, uh, he was a standout. You know, obviously they got Zach Levine to re-sign with them uh, after the season. So that's a big win for them. So Bulls are one of those teams that are kind of built to win now. Uh, their main players are like in the primes of their career. So we'll see how, how next season goes, but yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the one name that I want to add is Ayo Desunmu, uh, who put in quality minutes for them as a role player. DeRozan at times getting MVP looks, but yeah, middle of the pack kind of stands out to me. I mean, that's a little harsh, but like from a statistical standpoint, offense, middle of the pack, defense, middle of the pack, three-point shooting, middle of the pack, three-point defending, middle of the pack, turnovers, turnovers both allowed and given up, middle of the pack. Like um, winning record at home, losing record on the road, but not that dramatically, like I think three games under 500 on the road. Maybe a healthy Lonzo Ball helps swing some of those stats in the, in their favor a little bit. Because there's nothing alarming about the Bulls. I mean, heck, they were they had like the 12th best record. And that's in their first year with DeRozan there. Like, I think there's room to be optimistic here. But yeah, they are built to win now, so they need to do it, you know. Um it is sad about Lonzo Ball, but I think if we can get a healthy season out of him next year, I would expect them to be much better. Now, a team that we expected to regress after the previous season 
and we were accurate. We actually almost didn't give them, or we actually gave them too much credit. The New York Knicks, 19th best record in the league. We had them at number 15. Um, you know, Knicks just barely missing out on the play-in tournament. Well, not really. They they were they were they were next in line, but they were six games out, like behind the Hornets. So they weren't actually really close of making the playoffs at all. Uh, they they were able to maintain their uh, really good defense from two years ago, but their offense cratered. Uh, a big part of that is Julius Randle not being able to maintain that three point uh, percentage that he had. He was down to thirty percent from three. Uh, I will give a shout out to RJ Barrett. He kind of had a coming out party, 20 points a game, uh, six rebounds, three assists. Like he, he had a really good season. He's still only 21 somehow. Um, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, Emmanuel quickly spark plug off the bench for him. Uh, you know, they traded for Cam Reddish. He did not really get much of a look, which is interesting. I thought they would have played him a lot more considering they traded for him. But yeah, I mean, the Knicks, I was never really expecting, like this is not a team that's built to win championships anytime soon when your best player is Julius Randle, or I guess you could argue RJ Barrett. Like you're just not going to get much done. They had a disappointing season from what I'm sure were unrealistic expectations after the year before. Now they signed Jalen Brunson, like, like that's going to elevate your team to championship status. Um, <laughs> so next probably going to stick in this tier, but not definitely not going to be a contender anytime soon. That's for sure. It gives me great joy to say that. You took the words right out of my mouth on two things. One being taking joy and saying the Knicks won't be competing and two casting doubt upon Jalen Brunson since I'm a known Jalen Brunson doubter. I would say a hater. I wouldn't even say doubter. <laughs> like that's that, that's that's true, but hater is more true. I mean, fair. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, hate is such a strong and appropriate word. Now, if you travel back in time when we were talking about the Knicks versus the Hawks in the playoffs last season, we said, "Oh, Julius Randle had his fun in the regular season. He's going to get exposed. And then he did. And I think that just opened the eyes around the league because then he spent this season getting exposed on that same thing. Whenever teams wanted to take the Knicks seriously, the defense that they played on Julius Randle really showed. Uh, we see that 30% from three. The uh, I mean, this is kind of harsh for someone that averaged 20 a game, but like the lack of shot creation when it matters most. He's going to get his in the first three quarters and then kind of shut down in the fourth. Um, I mean, I respect that he was basically averaging 10 rebounds and five assists to go along with it. But he's not going to be the best player on your championship team. RJ Barrett needs a better like supporting player than him because it's not like Julius Randle is just in a tough position. It's not just that he can't be the best player on your team. He probably shouldn't be the second best either. Um, but here he is on top of the Knicks scoring leadership. But the one thing we'll say about a Tom Thibodeau team, they're going to play that defense, even if their offense isn't all that efficient. And that's what the Knicks did. 
up. That brings us to number 14. This is a team that we had way too high. Oh, man. The Indiana Pacers, who finished basically twice as badly as we thought they would. Uh, almost. They were the 26th best team in the NBA based on their uh, win percentage for the regular season, going 25 and 57. Yeah, so here's what I'll say. I was kind of high on the Pacers. I think probably this one's more due to me fighting for (laughs) the Pacers when we were talking about them, when we were initially creating our tier list. They were probably the most injury-riddled team in the league last year. You look at all of their best players. Malcolm Brogdon, 36 games. Sabonis, they ended up trading him. Lavert, they they traded him too. Um, you know, Miles Turner only played 42 games. TJ Warren didn't play at all. Like all of their best players basically got shipped away and they got replaced by, you know, Buddy Heald, uh, Halliburton. Like these guys, even when that, that trade happened, like the season was already over. They were not even trying to win at that point. Um, in terms of getting a guy like Halliburton, I really like that. But yeah, the Pacers, they, they just had a way. I mean, they just had so many injuries. Like if you, if you took that, that team, Brogdon, Sabonis, Turner, uh, TJ Warren being healthy, like Levert, like all these guys, um, and they were healthy, then I think you're potentially looking at a playoff team, not a team that's going 25 and 57, but they just never had any of these guys on the court at the same time. And they were playing guys who really shouldn't have played as many minutes as they, as they were like Dwayne Washington jr. Averaging 20 minutes a game, like raise your hand. If you knew who that was before the season, like, Sorry, no. It was just kind of a lost season for the Pacers, and they just decided to kind of blow it up and start over, which I really like Halliburton. Chris Duarte had a really good rookie season as well, so I think they've got a couple of good players to build off of. Isaiah Jackson, when he played, was pretty dynamic on the defensive end. We have the excuse of the injuries, but still, we probably put them a little too high, like especially like putting them over the Grizzlies. is that's, that's That one's pretty tough, for sure. Yeah, I think that's a fair place to like end the discussion on the Pacers that they probably like, we couldn't have predicted all those injuries. Um, And I think if they had had a healthy season, hopefuls is probably the right category for them. Obviously like that didn't pan out because of those injuries, but it is also bad that we put them ahead of the Grizzlies. Like mistakes were made, but it's not all our fault. I think we can end it. Oh, although I will say about, uh, Carlisle's coaching real quick. Yeah, decent offense, despite all of these injuries. They were still like technically top half of the league in in several uh, categories, uh, such as like scoring, like their uh, points per game. But damn, if that defense wasn't atrocious, <laughs> like teams were scoring at will on them. <laughs> like, and I mean that's not unheard of for a Rick Carlisle led team. I feel like a lot of these like veteran coaches were just like, oh yes, Thibodeau, that defense. Oh yeah, Rick Carlisle, the lack thereof. But it is what it is, I suppose. Uh, Moving on. Oh, speaking of Rick Carlisle, let's go to his former team. At number 13, we had the Dallas Mavericks. 
hopeful seems about right. Although I'd probably put them at the top of the hopeful, if not the bottom of the contender at the end of the season, uh, given that they made it to the uh, conference finals. Uh, that kind of says contender to me. Uh, they finished with the fourth seed in the West at 52-30. and 30. Uh, Great record at home, winning almost 30 games there, but also a winning record on the road. Finishing the season 8-2 and two on a four-game win streak like to take an upper seed against the Jazz. They did a lot of things right here. Unfortunately, what we end up seeing were some deficiencies that got exposed against the Warriors in that conference championship, uh, mainly like Luka having to do everything on offense a little too often and then subsequently not having the energy to expend on defense, getting lit up on that end of the court. That's something that's going to need to be addressed this season for sure. But like you said earlier, something that will help with that in the long run, if they can maintain it, is Spencer Dinwiddie uh, taking some of that pressure off of uh, Doncic's shoulders. 100%. And, you know, the Mavericks, like, it was the Celtics and it was the Mavericks as by far the best defensive teams in the league. I mean, it was Luka on offense, and then it was the rest of the team on defense, pretty much. Um, and that ended up being a winning success. I mean, you have to say it was a, it was a successful season for the Mavericks. Uh, Doncic, of course, doing his thing, MVP-like numbers. Uh, making that trade, getting Porzingis out of there, um, getting Spencer Dinwiddie, that ended up being pretty good for him overall. And then, of course, we mentioned Jalen Brunson earlier. Like, no, he's not a franchise-altering player, but also you got to give him props. He had a really great breakout season. I mean, he shot over 50% from the field as a guard and 37% from the from the three-point line, 84% from the free-throw line. Like, this is a guy who was able to uh, shoulder a, a lot of the offense when Doncic either wasn't playing or wasn't on the court. He had a, a really breakout season. And, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr., a guy who's kind of filled that role for them in the past. I mean, he only played half of the games, started a fourth of them. Um, so, yeah. Mavericks, I think as long as you have Luka, you're at least going to be a hopeful. Uh, but losing Jalen Brunson is going to hurt them a little bit, I think. But getting Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, the rest of that team playing defense the way that they did. I see them at least being a hopeful again next year, but even though they had a better season than we put them at, I think I'm not too mad about it. Um, at least we put them above the Pacers and the Knicks, huh. which were the next two teams. I mean, speaking of teams that outperformed where we put them, at number 12, we had the Celtics, who, of course, made it to the finals. I mean, they ultimately lost to the Warriors. But you mentioned them in the last thing you were talking about. Uh, the Celtics, basically the best defense in basketball. Um, I mean, one of, if not the best. As we've known about for the past few seasons, that two-headed monster of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And that worked incredibly well this year, obviously. Um both of them were able to play the majority of games for the Celtics this season. Uh, Marcus Smart taking on that point guard role. Eh. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he won Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, you can't, you can't be, you can't throw that much shade. No, I can't. Although, I mean, best defensive player 
but on the best defensive team as well. Like, I, I mean, you had made this point a few episodes ago when we were talking about it, but like, he's the one that singled out and recognized for the team's success. And this team played incredible defense, like all around. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the leadership from Al Horford, who we really can't say enough about. That is a man that does not get enough credit for the contributions he makes to his team because a lot of those contributions just don't show up on the stat sheet. The uh, the hustle, the leadership, the, the screens, uh, the on-court communication, and by screens, I mean both on-ball and off-ball. So many of their possessions end with wide-open shots as a result of the work that Al Horford is putting in there. Uh, Robert Williams playing incredibly well this season, averaging over two blocks a game, in addition to basically a steal game and almost 10 boards. The Celtics did a lot of things right. They just couldn't get it done at the very end, but they certainly outperformed our projection for them. For sure. I think they pretty much outperformed everybody's projection for them except Bill Simmons. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, talking about Robert Williams, like not only did he put up almost a double-double with two blocks, he shot 73% from the field and 72% from the line. So it wasn't like he was a liability there either. I mean, he was a catalyst for uh, their defense once they made those changes uh, mid season, but also like I got to give a shout out to Grant Williams who came out of nowhere to really be a very important player for them in the, uh, the postseason, especially, I mean, in the regular season, like he shot good percentages, just kind of low usage, but especially when Robert Williams was hurt or he, you know, it wasn't a great scheme fit. They put Grant Williams in for the, you know, his offensive contributions and, you know, he was splashing. So (laughs) shout out to him as well. When they uh, announced that Brad Stevens was going to be moving to the front office and then they're going to bring in a new coach. We were like, what? (laughs) Like, am I reading this, this headline correctly, but it ended up working out really well for them. I mean, in Udoka's first season there, they made it to the finals. So yeah, Celtics, amazing season. They've got to be looked at as one of the top teams, uh, you know, favorites for the title next year. I don't know if we're going to put them in our favorites. We'll just have to see, but definitely deserve to be a lot higher than 12th. That's for sure. So apologies, Celtics. We doubted you. We're going to put you higher next season for sure. Now, this one kind of hurts. Number 11. So we're getting up to the top of the hopefuls now. Like these are teams that arguably, you know, are getting kind of close to that contender range. We had the Portland Trailblazers and uh, we could not really have been further from the truth. Like the Blazers had a pretty awful season, 27 and 55. Now, of course, there's a caveat here. They traded CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard missed most of the season with injury. So with that being said, we could, you know, we weren't expecting that to happen. So sure. If they had all been healthy, like who knows what exactly would have happened. Regardless though, you've got to say this was a disappointing season by the trailblazers standards. Like we had them at 11. They had the 25th best record. Like, it was, it was pretty bad. The, the only couple bright spots really were Anthony Simons coming out of nowhere to average 17 points a game, four assists, um, and he shot over 40% from three. He was lighting it up for the Trailblazers because he had the opportunity. He ended up cashing out this offseason uh, because of it as well. But 
Yeah, I mean, he gives them another piece to build around. But like we were talking about last episode and off the top, like Damian Lord's contract is going to kind of keep them from bringing in additional free agents. But I mean, him being healthy, the development of Simons, you know, keeping Yusuf Nurkic around, continuing to develop their young talent, like they're going to be better than they were this year. I think this is probably the bottom of what we could expect. But I think they're going to have to kind of earn my trust again before um, I put them back at almost a top 10 team. A couple of things I'm looking at with the Trailblazers and the disappointment that was their season. I mean, the biggest one is Damian Lillard playing 29 games. There was one player on their roster that played 60 plus games and it was Ben Mclemore. <laughs> like, that's a problem. <laughs> In case the Trailblazers wanted to like finish the season with an exclamation point on how bad they were, they went ahead and lost their last 11 straight games. You know, just to like remind you all, hey, before we conclude this season, we suck. Um, this is the most jarring number to me. Uh, I mean, like when Damian Lillard misses that much time, you're not going to do well. No team in the NBA was worse against their own division than the Trailblazers. The Trailblazers were 1-15 against their division. They beat the Nuggets once in like November and then lost every other divisional game. One other note about the Trailblazers that I didn't say before. They were a consistent team. They were 27th in defense and 27th in offense. So you can't say that one of the... Like, one part of their game was lacking because every part of their game was lacking. Like that's kind of tough when you don't have anything to build off of. Yeah. I mean, we, we've known that the trailblazer strategy has been like, let Lillard carry us. And they went full force with that, you know, trading McCollum. I mean, we talked about Lillard's contract at the beginning of episode 33 Every season is basically going to be, does he ball out? If so, he can carry them to a, uh, at, at least a long shot type of season, if not a hopeful. But in the absence of a ball in Damian Lillard, this team's not going anywhere, except the bottom, I guess. One one other stat, and then we'll move on. The Trailblazers were worse in point differential in the entire league. They got outscored an average of, 8.9 points per game, which was worse than the Rockets, the Thunder, the Magic, the Pistons, all of those teams that we already covered. They were by far the worst. They got blown out the most times. So just really a, a bad season all around for the Trailblazers, but you already know it's got to get a lot better next season uh, once they get healthy. Now, moving on to <clears throat> our top 10. So at number 10, the second most hopeful, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. And, you know, the Sixers kind of ended up having the same kind of season that we've seen them from them in the past. Obviously, the whole Ben Simmons saga continued and was finally resolved partway through the season. Like At least resolved as far as Philadelphia is concerned. Right. There was still a lot of interesting fallout from that. I mean, James Harden ended up playing 21 games for him. And 
you know, just looking at the stats, I mean, he averaged 21 points over 10 assists per game, but he's still definitely underperformed from what we were used to seeing out of him. And B was able to play most of the games this season. <laughs> Arguably could have won the MVP award uh, that went to Jokic, but he definitely was one of the best, very best players in the league last year, over 30 points a game. 12 boards like this guy continued to show why he is one of the most talented players in the game. Tyrese Maxey. Yep. This is a guy who kind of show came out of nowhere. He averaged over 35 minutes a game and he did a lot with those minutes. I mean, he shot over 42% from three, 17 and a half points per game over four assists. Like he's not necessarily going to be your like lead guard, but he's a guy who be a pesky defender, extremely quick in transition he works as a secondary d- distributor, I would say. And then, you know, obviously he's a threat from th- from three-point range as well. So uh, Sixers, they ended up doing probably a little bit better than we said. So they, they lost in the, in the semifinals in the East, which is what happened to them last year as well. So they didn't really improve, um, but probably a little bit better than 10th. But, you know, as long as they have Embiid, you know, Harden's re-up for next season. Maxi is continuing to develop there. Uh, they're going to be right in amongst the top of the hopefuls or, or contenders. So we'll, we'll see what they, uh, what they're able to do next season. Yeah. Overall, like around middle of the pack for offense, but a top 10 defense can't say enough about how well Embiid played and that he almost played the whole season. Look at him. Um, I'm sad to see, uh, Matisse Thibel, like only getting the 25 minutes a game. Philadelphia doesn't love him as much as I do. Uh, that whatever. Um, I think the main area that I'm looking at at that is like he was playing a lot more in the beginning of the season than he was at the end. Uh, seemed in the playoffs he could not like get time on the court. Uh, to be that impact player. My point is there's some figuring out to do in Philadelphia because we have good pieces there in Embiid, in James Harden, in Tyrese Maxey, in Matisse. But it's a matter of like making it all like happen, having it all like come together in the right way at the right time. Now, personally, I'm hoping that doesn't happen, but you know, uh, the pieces are there, it seems. Now moving on to our or the top of our hopefuls tier. Yep, this is where we had the NBA champions, the Golden State Warriors, the top of the hopefuls. Not quite a contender, and obviously the main reason for this was Clay Thompson. Um, the Warriors had just come from being in the play-in tournament. We knew that they were going to get Clay back. We weren't entirely sure when that was going to happen or how he was going to play. That was the, probably the main thing that kept us from putting them in the contenders category. But, I mean, you got to give them props. Clay Thompson came back, and, you know, he wasn't exactly like the old Clay, but, I mean, he still averaged over 20 points per game, made over three and a half threes per game at 38% shooting, 90% from the free throw line. Like, he was still getting it done. And he was able to play 32 games for him. And, of course was there in the playoffs when they needed him. Um, I'm going to save uh, one breakout player for Mike to talk about. But 
But I mean, the rest of their team, like Kevon Looney, low key, really good season. I know he only averaged six points, seven point three rebounds, um, but he played every single game for him. In the playoffs, his rebounding was very, very good. He was a key to uh, their defense being as good as it was. Uh, they ended up having a num- the number three defense after the Celtics and the Mavericks in the league, which is interesting. We were used to the Warriors like lighting teams up and being that you know offensive juggernaut, but they were able to kind of restructure their identity a little bit. One of the best defensive teams, and honestly, like during the regular season, they were just a middle of the pack offensive team, nothing too special. But when it came to the playoffs, they obviously turned their game up there, uh, and their defense continued to shine. Again, Looney was a big part of that. Gary Payton, Draymond, of course. And Andrew Wiggins, like, I've never been a Wiggins fan, but I've got to say he has really impressed me since he's been in Golden State. It just shows what being in, uh, you know, a winning environment, a championship type team, what that can do for a player's development, um, their motivation, all of that. It's really important. So Warriors, yeah, I mean... We should have put you higher, but also they they were a lot of they had a lot of questions that needed to be answered, and they answered all of them. They did answer all of them, and I remember when we uh, when we did our preseason tier list, I think one of us had said something like, you know, we're putting them here for the reasons that you mentioned, like the unknown surrounding Clay. But I I want to say that we were talking about like if Clay comes back and is a healthy clay like the warriors have a shot against anybody so yeah we undersold them but i feel like based on like the precedent it's not like we didn't know better like about what they can be it's just we weren't sure if they would be if that makes sense it wasn't a grizzly situation right right yeah um yeah andrew wiggins Good to see you out of Minnesota. Good to see you trying. Um, Warriors with a top three defense in the league. Andrew Wiggins was playing great defense. We saw that all the way through to the finals. Of course, we have Draymond as the heart and soul of that defense. Uh, He's going to provide that intensity. But let's talk about Jordan Poole, man. The, uh, the third splash brother now. Uh, we saw him starting to shine a little bit last season. But this season was something else. I mean, while they waited for Clay Thompson to come back, Jordan Poole steps into the starting lineup. And he shoots like 36% from three. Uh, I'm pretty sure he led the league in free throw percentage. Um uh, <laughs> He certainly led the team uh, at 93%. Um, I'm not going to say like a defensive stopper or anything, but also not a liability on defense. Um, I'm looking at the 18 and a half points a game that he had on the season. And then once Clay Thompson came back into that starting lineup, they had a guy off the bench that they could rely on uh, as that like spark plug type of player. And at 22 years of age, like, I'm looking at him. I'm looking at Kaminga at 19, Moses Moody at 19, Kevon Looney's only 25. Like, 
Of course, the Warriors just won the championship. They've had their dynasty, but they have these young pieces there too. Like, I don't see what's... I mean, of course, they're not going to have Steph Curry forever, but like, the pieces are there for them to continue to be a solid, if not contending team for years to come. So that's going to wrap up our hopefuls category. Now, just to recap, the two teams in the finals from this past season have already been mentioned in our next two categories are contenders and favorites. So <laughs> it's not going to look super great. But let's start with our bottom of our contenders, and that was the Heat, who we had at number eight, who, to be fair, got to the conference finals. A couple seasons ago, they went to the finals, ultimately losing to the Lakers. Then they took a step back last season. And coming into this past season, we were looking at them as like, okay, well, which one is it? You know, and they, I think they made an appropriate step back in the right direction uh, before ultimately losing to the Celtics. But how many times have I sung Jimmy Butler's praises on this podcast? Every episode. Every episode. Uh, accurate. <laughs> if you have Jimmy Butler, you have a chance to win any game you're playing in. And, of course, that held true. Heat culture all the way through. They had the best record in the East for the regular season, finishing at 53-29. and 29. Great defense, as will be the case with the Heat. Interestingly, we saw the reduction if not the uh, abolishment of a role for Duncan Robinson. Uh, I mean, he was starting at the beginning of the season, and as you watch like in the playoffs, he just couldn't get onto the court. Uh, shooting struggles uh, bedeviled him a little bit. Eventually, they were giving those minutes to Max Struess, who was not having shooting issues. And, you know... Eric Spolstra does not care. Pat Riley does not care. Like, if you're struggling in Miami, it doesn't matter what you're getting paid. You're not going to play if you can't, like, defend your time on the court. And, I mean, it's sad because I like Duncan Robinson, but that's the reality of the the situation. That's the reality of the culture. Otherwise, like, great seasons from Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Max Struess while I'm talking about him. The Heat, top seed in the East, uh, I, th- I think we've got to probably put them higher next season. We know that the Heat are going to be competitive with the coaching, um, just being one of the absolute best organizations in basketball. I mean, they did a lot of this with like Jimmy Butler, 57 games, Adebayo, 56. Those are their two best players that they missed um, not insignificant amounts of time. But also like the Heat just come up with like these random guys you've never heard of who end up balling out and like playing important minutes in the playoffs. I mean, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent is another guy who had a pretty good season for him, like underrated. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like Ola, like Victor Oladipo who like three seasons ago was like borderline all-star. He literally played eight games for them. Didn't even really do that much. Uh, and they didn't even need him to get the first seed in the East. Like this is a team that's just really is always going to be one of those contenders. Uh, as long as they've got this core nucleus of players, uh, they've got a really good mixture of veteran 
um, of guys in their primes, of younger guys like Hero, who I don't think we've actually mentioned yet, but I mean, he had a great season too, over 20 points per game, five rebounds, four assists, like a really good shooting. Obviously he won, you know, sixth man of the year. So really good season from him. And, you know, the Heat are just going to continue to run it back next season and, and do well again. So I would expect that they would be probably a little higher than they were this year for us. But overall, like they were in the contenders tier. I feel like that's accurate. Now, moving on to the Nuggets at number seven, the Nuggets are one of those teams that if they were just healthy, they would have done better than they actually did. Uh, but the Nuggets are obviously in like a different tier, literally, to those other teams. Um, Jokic, I mean, how much more can we say about this guy? Back-to-back MVPs, deserves MVPs as well, I might add. I mean, one of the best big men of his generation, if not the best, um, he just didn't have enough support around him. Jamal Murray didn't play. Michael Porter Jr. was only able to play nine games at the beginning of the season. And even so, he didn't even average double-digit points after signing that crazy max extension that they gave him. Like, he did not have enough talent around him to really make a good run of it. I mean, they still had a good season, uh, 48-34, and 10th best record in the league. And I was expecting Michael Porter Jr., obviously, to play the whole season and be a, you know, a big factor for him. And then hopefully Jamal Murray coming back at the end of the season. Obviously, neither of those things happened. Uh, and so they relied on Aaron Gordon, Will Barton. Uh, Monte Morris was a pleasant surprise for him, too. Like, they have they had decent players, but all those guys I just mentioned, they're role players. They're not your star players that go along with Jokic. So it kind of makes sense that they fell a little bit. I think they were still contenders. It's just the injury bug bit them a little bit, and that was too much for them to overcome. But, I mean, look out for them next season because the Nuggets have, you know, when they're fully healthy, they have the ability to beat any team in the league. Oh, definitely. The problem is that it doesn't even seem like a when they're fully healthy, but if they're fully healthy. I've been clamoring for a healthy Jamal Murray for as long as we've been doing this podcast, it seems. Please play. Uh, Please give more minutes to my man, Faku Composo. Only managed to get 18 minutes a game. You'd think he'd see a few more minutes without Jamal Murray, but whatever, you know. Let me just keep complaining. Uh, Yeah, Jokic, straight-up baller, back-to-back deserved MVPs, like you said. Um, But he can't do it all every night for him. The the other thing that I'm looking at with the Nuggets is that they went 23-18 and at home. And for Denver, that's bad. Denver's one of the teams that we tend to look at and expect to have a, like, dominant record at home. And it's because of that, like mile high advantage right it's different going to denver as opposed to like i don't know sacramento or utah or whatever like there's an extra level to it pun kind of intended so to see them only go 23 and 18 at home is uh a bit of a yellow flag for me otherwise like the big thing here is can we get a healthy rotation where Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray and Jokic are all playing most of the games and are able to show up together for the playoffs. Following the Nuggets, we had the Suns at number six. Now, the Suns 
did walk away with the best record in the NBA at 64 and 18. They also got bounced out of the conference semis by the Dallas Mavericks, which technically puts them somewhere between 8 and 5. 6 is between 8 and 5. Works for me, man. We were right. <laughs> we did it. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the Suns, amazing regular season, obviously, 64 wins. It's very impressive. They weren't quite able to get past the Mavericks, but it did go to seven games. They still looked like one of the best teams in the league, if not the best, during the regular season, of course. And a big thing from that um, is Devin Booker. Like, we've definitely talked in the past. We've talked a lot of shit about Devin Booker, but, I mean, I'll give him his props. 27 points per game. 46% from the field, 38% from the three-point line, 87% from the free-throw line, able to be a secondary ball handler at 4.8 assists per game, over a steal a game as well. Like This is a guy who is one of the premier scorers in the NBA, no question about it. Maybe, I know we've said like Devin Booker will never be the best player on a championship-winning team, I mean, I feel like we'll stick with that until we're proven wrong, but he's definitely improved over the course of time. And I think the influence of Chris Paul cannot be understated on Devin Booker as well. Uh, Not like him and Monty Williams. Uh, Both of those two guys, I think, have really matured. Booker uh, made him a lot more interested in winning and not just getting his stats and dating or Kardashian on the side. Like, I feel like he's, he's a lot more actually into winning basketball games and winning that championship now, which is obviously a good thing. Uh, but, you know, they brought back most of their guys from the previous season uh, who got them to the finals. And yeah, I mean, for the most part, they all p- played pretty well. I mean, Cam- Cameron Johnson, breakout season for him, 42% from three. I mean, that was, that's his you know number one skill. And he was able to show it on a bit more volume than he'd gotten in the past. Aiton still had a pretty good season. I mean, 17 points, 10 rebounds. McCall Bridges, again, one of the better 3 and D wings in the league. So overall, the Suns are in a good position to run, run it back again. But I mean, Chris Paul's already 36. Like he he had a couple of injuries last season. Um, wasn't really able to play as well in the playoffs as he would have liked. Uh, I think a lot of that is just kind of due to fatigue and all of that. So We'll see if he's able to make it through the rigors of another season and how he can do in the playoffs next year. But the Suns, they're still in a in a pretty good position. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to Devin Booker not being able to be the best player on a championship team. I mean, hey, in the previous season, the Suns got all the way to the finals, and I held on for dear life. I was like, nope, I'm not going back on that until he makes me, and he didn't make me. And now he has to get back to the finals to prove me wrong. Uh, Yeah, I'll stick with my guns on it. McCall Bridges, I'm a big fan of his. Making all defensive team uh, at age 25, that's good. There's a reason that we didn't have them as as favorites. Um, And I think that their their loss to the Mavericks kind of emphasized that. Like There are weaknesses on this team and maybe their um their run the previous season was sort of their uh 
their zenith, if you will. Still, though, they're going to perform well in the regular season if we if they maintain this core of players. A Devin Booker-led Phoenix team, which we've seen before. Uh, spoiler alert, it doesn't lead to a great deal of success. But maybe I'm just hating right now. I feel like you're always going to hate on the players that you hate on. And like that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm consistent. Uh, now, speaking of hating, I really hate where we put the Atlanta Hawks. And that was at number five. Edging up towards the favorites tier? What were we thinking? Uh, now, here, a couple caveats. If you're, you know, this is the first time you're listening to the podcast. Mike and I are big Atlanta Hawks fans. We're from Atlanta. Uh, we were really excited when the Hawks beat the Sixers. Made it all the way to the conference finals uh, two years ago. I guess two seasons ago, I should say. And we just thought, you know, with this with this team, it's young. We're going to keep getting better, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, the Hawks just regressed. Like, I think putting them above the Suns was a mistake, considering the, the Suns made it to the finals and the Hawks didn't. But still, like, I don't feel too bad about putting the Hawks as contenders. They just really disappointed, like in a in a major way, like pretty much up and down the roster. Guys did not have as good seasons as they had the previous year. I mean, Trey Young obviously still did his thing: twenty eight points per game, almost ten assists, thirty eight percent from three. Yes, he's going to be a liability on the defensive end. Yes, he's going to turn the turn the ball over a lot because he's going to have the ball in his hands but still he's a star player but there were a lot of injuries as well I mean John Collins was only able to play 50 50 odd games same for DeAndre Hunter Gallinari missed some games Okongu missed some games this team was not at full capacity but even when they were it still wasn't going to be enough I mean when your defense is ranked bottom 10 in the league and thanks to you know thanks to Trey we had a the sixth best offense but like the defense being that bad is not gonna you know hold up in the playoffs and that's exactly what we saw uh, against the Heat is that we were not able to hold up on the defensive end and you know fair enough so moving forward I still have a lot of enthusiasm about the Hawks, especially getting DeJounte Murray. That's going to help both the defensive uh, liability uh, aspect that I was talking about, as well as uh, Trey always having the ball in his hands. Like that, Those turnovers are going to go down because Murray's also going to have the ball some as well. So I think the future is still bright in Atlanta, but we might have jumped the gun a little bit on calling them like major contenders, like a top five team in the league. Yeah, there was definitely some uh, optimism there. Uh, Hometown bias? Yeah. When we uh, have our discussion about our 2022 NBA preseason tier list, will I still be pushing for them to be contenders? Maybe. I mean... (laughs) I, I like the thought of DeJounte Murray on this Hawks team. Um, here's my theory. Our deficiencies were going to get exposed eventually. 
in the playoffs. But the injuries that we had put us in a situation where we were having to face the Miami Heat immediately in the playoffs. That's rough. Um, This feels more like it should have been a second round exit than a first round exit type of team. And because of the injuries we suffered in the regular season, our departure got expedited just a little bit. Um, I think DeJounte Murray, in theory, fixes some of those weaknesses. Uh, Maybe we get more games out of John Collins, out of Bogdanovich, out of DeAndre Hunter. And, I mean, if our biggest issue is like Trey Young getting exposed on defense and having too much pressure to be the sole like initiator of the offense, if DeJounte Murray fixes those problems, then I don't see why we can't contend. But the reality is we did not have DeJounte Murray this past season, and we see the results of that as you, as you listed out, which was sad. But at least we made the playoffs. It would have been heartbreaking if we lost out of the play-in tournament. My goodness. Especially to the team that we put 27th in the tier list. Good Lord. Oh, boy. Thankfully, that didn't let's happen. Just, yeah, let's just move on to number four. The, our top contender, the Utah Jazz. Well, this is going to be the last time that the Jazz are anywhere near this tier after they've uh, torn down their roster. And apparently they're, they might trade Donovan Mitchell now, which will, which would be interesting. So the Jazz ended up ninth best record in the league. Once again, they could not cut it in the playoffs. Like I said, they tore it down. They traded Gobert. Because it just wasn't going to work. The the pairing of Donovan Mitchell and Gobert, it just was not going to get them to where they, they wanted to be. The haul that they got for Gobert is staggering. <laughs> and we'll, we'll see how all of those new pieces end up working out for them. I mean, that Jazz roster is going to be almost entirely different next season, which is going to be really kind of weird to see. But the Jazz definitely underperformed. And I think we just kind of like, you know what? Maybe this is the year that the Jazz figure it out. You know, Quinn Snyder, really good coach, et cetera, et cetera. Now even Quinn Snyder's gone. <laughs> like um, all of the things that we liked about the Utah Jazz are now gone. So I, it's got to be said, it was a, another disappointing season for them with that core of the that, you know, the coach, those star players and by the time next season rolls around, probably none of them are going to be there and it's going to look completely different. So we're probably looking at a rebuilding situation in Utah and they kind of got close to being that, you know, that contending team, but never were able to really get over the hump and seriously challenge for a title. And this is just what we've gotten used to the jazz doing, not just in the past few years, but past few decades, good in the regular season, not getting it done the postseason. I mean, looking at the regular season, they were top 10, both offense and defense. And another likable piece that they got rid of, Royce O'Neal. I mean, one of the great 3 and D players. Um, doesn't get that much credit around the league, honestly. But uh, he shot just under 40% from three. Uh, he's gone as well. Uh, I think we, we see they've given up, or they get rid of him. They give up on Gobert. Quinn Snyder leaves. Yeah, they are uh, tearing it down. We're tearing them right off this this tier on our tier list. 
this uh this version of the jazz regular season brilliance is just about over. Actually, no, just about's about it. It's over. Yeah. Speaking of tearing teams down from tears, these next two teams, which if you've been keeping up, which congr- congratulations if you have, because we've definitely talked a lot about a lot of teams. Uh, there are three teams left that we have not talked about. Two of those teams were absolutely uh, absolutely flopped last season. We're nowhere near being close to being on the favorites tier. Of course, we're talking about the Lakers and the Nets. Now, the Lakers came in at number three. And, I mean, I feel like we don't really need to go on too long because, I mean, really about either of these teams because both teams have been very well documented in the media of what's happened. But you've got to say, major, major, major disappointment for the Lakers. Like, LeBron's got to be thinking, like, Maybe I should, should I go back to Cleveland? Like (laughs) coming home again. (laughs) Like I'm going home again. (laughs) Not once, not twice. Um, anyways. Yeah. I mean, obviously like Anthony Davis only played half a season at this point. Like that's pretty much what we should expect. Russell Westbrook, really terrible season by his standards. And all their other players were just like, Average at best. Austin Reeves averaged 23 minutes per game in 61 games. Like, this is a team that ended up 33 and 49. Bottom 10 in the league. It's just kind of crazy when when they have, like, you know, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. And then, I mean, I guess I could throw Melo in there, but it doesn't really count. (laughs) Like, I mean, I feel like you could also put Dwight Howard in there and be like, dang, what a team. And Rondo. But like, you know, obviously it's different, but we expected them to be favorites because of the talent that was on that roster. And I should have just trusted my gut and been like, you know what? I don't think that those players are going to stay healthy or fit together that well. I'm embarrassed. I, uh, by both the Lakers and the Nets, I feel like I would have loved so much to be like doing this episode right now and be like oh we had the the lakers we had the nets we had them both in the uh in the hopefuls category right and like being able to say the media hyped them up but we knew better and we got sucked into the shit too like to our defense at some level how do you not it's freaking lebron he has a reputation of dragging shit to the finals. He's done more with less. We can't put him that low, right? And on the other end, it's KD. And, you know, at that point in the season, Kyrie and James Harden. How do you not? They're so good. There's so much talent. Like, it's one thing to build a team with role players, but these guys are so talented at some level, they'll probably just figure it out, right? And I think, I guess that's what we were banking on, as was everyone in the media like they were selling tickets for the lakers nets finals before like the playoffs started uh alas we put them in favorites and 
maybe we'll grow next year. And we'll figure out in a few weeks when we do our preseason tier list. I I guess step one is like what's going to happen with all this, like with both of these teams and all these like trade rumors and everything. <sighs> oh man, it's tough. I don't want to talk anymore. <laughs> I mean, actually, let me make one more thing. Austin Reeves was like, since you mentioned him, he was like getting shine as like their new sharpshooter and he shot like 31% from three. It's just like kind of a, a statement of like the dysfunction that was the Lakers. Like, Oh, we have this new shooter. He's not that good at shooting like in a manner of speaking, but here he is. And like as dysfunctional as the Lakers were, you still can't compare (laughs) that to what the nets went through last season. I mean, Kyrie with the whole vaccine stuff, like the whole Ben Simmons and James Harden fiasco, KD, like being the enigma that he is, all these things. It's just, and now of course they, they traded James Harden for Ben Simmons who never played shocker. (laughs) Um, You know, like, Durant is going to leave. Kyrie's also going to leave. Like the Nets had this brief, really brief period of being one of the favorites to win the league. And they never got close. I mean, they got swept by the Celtics in the first round with Durant and Kyrie playing. Let me remind you, uh, it just was never going to work. So yeah, Nets. I expect that by the time next season rolls around, They're not going to have really any of these big pieces that they have now. It's going to look completely different, kind of like the Jazz. And they're not going to sniff being a contender for years to come. Uh, Of course, they weren't even really a contender to begin with. They just kind of seemed like they were going to be that way. But yeah, I will say it's going to be very interesting to see if Ben Simmons, they roll out Ben Simmons and try to tout him as like, this is our guy we're building around. We shall see. Anyways, all right, going to our number one team, which we had the Bucks, which of course we did. They won the finals last year. They didn't lose really anybody that important. Um, so we had them at number one. Like, let's give them their credit. They still had Giannis. They still had all of their guys who helped them win the championship, um, for the most part, at least. And, you know, they fell a little bit short, but I don't feel bad about putting them at number one. Like, they were still one of the best teams in the league. I mean, third in offense, their defense was definitely, like, not up to their previous standards. Uh, They were all the way down in 19th, which definitely hurt them. Uh, But Giannis, once again, like, it was it's a clear, like, three-way race for MVP last season with Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid. And Giannis is probably going to be in that discussion every single year. He's that good. Kind of disappointing seasons from his supporting cast and they couldn't quite get it done in the playoffs, but the bucks are going to be around next year as well. Like Giannis is committed to them and they've got decent enough pieces around them to where maybe they'll have a bounce back year next year. But it's gotta be said, it was a disappointing year for them just because they didn't, you know, get as far as they wanted to in the playoffs. They also didn't do as well in the regular season as they wanted, but um, they're going to be here for years to come. Looking at the Bucks, they still put forth a like top three offense in the league and made it top three in the East. And then 
yeah, they end up getting bounced in the playoffs. Chris Middleton not being able to play really like affected that. I mean, you have Giannis, you have a shot, right? Um, I, I'm with you. I 100% defend putting them as the number one favorite. I think that's kind of become our rule, right? You win the championship, you bring back your major pieces, you're the favorite. We did the same thing with the NFL tier list. And does a healthier Bucks team go out the same way? I I don't think so. Probably not. Uh, I mean, who's to say? But I think that's a factor that we can look at, right? That they would have done better had Chris Middleton been there, uh, been available. As for like favorites, I don't know. I think at the very least, they'll be contenders every single year, like you said. Giannis is and will be one of the best, if not the best players in the league year in, year out. And when you have a player like that, you will be looked at as a contender. Unless you're like Brooklyn and you're KD and you have no leadership qualities and your team is just like a a drama show. Of course, who who are we to talk? We still put them in the favorites. (laughs) Whatever. I think with that being said, since I inadvertently brought up the Nets again, I'm ready to be done talking about this tier list. (laughs) So with all that being said, we hope you've enjoyed this review of our 2021 NBA tier list. Obviously some things we got right, some we didn't, and we'll try to do better next time. (laughs) Hey guys, it's Mike. If you've made it this far, thanks. We appreciate you. We are not doing the hot seat. We're not doing the fun fact. Dave talked about this at the beginning of the show. I'm reminding you now that was just too much. We're calling it here, but fear not. Episode 35 will come out in two weeks and that will be your regularly scheduled full length episode with all the bells and whistles. And because it's a multiple of five, we'll be coming back with a new edition of top five. But until then, Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. Subscribe to us on whatever platform you're using to listen to us. Leave us that five-star review. We always appreciate that. We will catch you in two weeks for episode 35. Thanks for listening. And-